You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Studio 89.7. This talk program focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. And now, here's your host, Philadelphia radio veteran, Paul Perello. We always look forward to our next guest coming back and seeing us because as I tease him, I I sort of say, can he bring some of that nice, sunny Florida weather back? (laughs) He did yesterday when he was here. Today it's a little cloudy, but you know, you got to have a few clouds in life in order to appreciate the sunshine, right, Pat Williams? Paul, it's great to see you. Good to visit. Good to reminisce about South Philly, which is one of the great neighborhoods in the world, and I always love to come back home. Yeah, uh, Pat Williams is uh, here to talk about his new book, but of course, uh, for those of us that know Pat Williams, perhaps we know him best for his time, his tenure with the Philadelphia 76ers and playing in that old building down there, the Spectrum, and uh, Pat was there during the glory years of the Philadelphia 76ers and, of course, the championship, and I think the last time you were here you wrote about that championship season right was that your that was that's your right book? paul i wrote a book uh on, at the 25th anniversary season that would have been december of 07 that's right and uh, we, that was the 25th year coming right at that point mm-hmm. and we had tracked down all the former players and writers and referees and opponents and put together that book tales from the 1983 76ers and just had a wonderful time reminiscing and putting the book together that was that was a very rewarding project so let me see if my math adds up then so you were here in december 2007 and then in 2008 we had the philadelphia soul depending on just how much of a sports fan you are or aren't some you know they win the championship and then we had that other team that you worked with uh the philadelphia phillies win the world series so maybe it was your reminiscing about that championship season that you brought these championships to philadelphia well paul think about that decade i arrived and you know i'm this is coincidental, but I came in 74 and stayed till 86. That was a 12-year period with the Sixers. But think about that decade. The Flyers win two Stanley That's Cups. Right. The, the Phillies get to the playoffs, I guess, four times, get to the World Series twice. I think they got to the playoffs five times. Mm-hmm. Then the Sixers get to the finals four times mm-hmm. and win one in 83. The Eagles go to the Super Bowl in 81. That's right. The Penn basketball team gets to the Final Four 30 <laughs> years ago in 79 in that famous Bird Magic mm-hmm. Final Four. And then Villanova wins the whole thing in 85. That's right. <laughs> think about that decade. Yeah. Just think about that. Mm-hmm. That's that's unprecedented in any city in America. So it's nice to see maybe maybe another decade is launched here. With, I uh, think so. so uh, but, but having said that, Paul, that 74, mid-70s to mid-80s, uh, that may never happen again in any city in America. That was unbelievable. Besides being senior vice president of the NBA Orlando Magic, Pat is a motivational speaker, very much sought after, and uh, he is also an author. And he's here in Philadelphia once again to talk about his newest book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Inside Basketball. Uh, it's by uh, Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, who brought us the whole Chicken Soup series. That's right, that's right. And so it only makes sense to have Pat Williams involved in this project. Paul, it's an interesting history. Uh, about 18 years ago, Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield, who were speakers, storytellers, mm-hmm. they had this wonderful collection of stories. Their friends kept saying, you ought to publish it. It ought to be a book. <laughs> so they took it to over 100 publishers around the country. They were turned down everywhere, including 33 houses in New York. Mm-hmm. No, won't go. Finally, a little publisher in South Florida said, yeah, what the heck? 
we, we'll run 20,000. These guys will probably sell that many themselves. Well, here we are 18 years later, 200 plus books later, about 120 million copies sold. It's the most fascinating brand of publishing in the history of the business. Sure. But they never had gotten to the basketball version. So about a, two years ago, they asked me to take it on. And I've been immersed in it ever since. The mission was very simple. Mm. Come up with 101 stories that raise a goosebump, make mm-hmm. the hair on your arms stand up, pull a Kleenex out, cause a chuckle or a wow moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the mission. And so we got 101 of them. It took close to two years. And there were 15 extra ones that I liked so much, I pleaded with the editor to have a bonus section. And she said, okay. Yeah. So for the first time in chicken soup history, there are more than 101. It's 116. And uh, all basketball related, but more importantly, Paul, they're life related. And you don't even have to be a sports fan to get a lot out of this book. And it reads as a who's who, not only of sports personalities, but uh, I mean, right at the top of the list is the President of the United States. <laughs> Barack Obama is is contributing one of his stories to the book. Well, it's a fascinating thing. On It, it was Election Day. The book is finished. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all but done in November. And uh, sometime midday, the the editor calls me. She's in a frenzy. She said, I just saw on television Mr. Obama has voted and headed right to the gym in Chicago to hoop it up. (laughs) And she said, there's got to be a story. And all I could think of was last May when Obama scrimmaged against the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, in Chapel Hill. He, mm-hmm. well, is it, uh, so I tracked down the SID at Carolina, found out that he had come in, spoken to a big crowd at the Dean Smith Center, had emailed the athletic department saying, I'd like to stay over the next morning to scrimmage against the team. Can you imagine? <laughs> so they emailed all the players, said, be here at 7 in the morning. And college kids, you can imagine, Paul, they're not getting up for anybody, but they're all there. They scrimmage for an hour and 15 minutes with uh, with Obama right in the middle of the mm-hmm. whole thing. And, uh, and that just is intriguing to me. Uh, so here's what happened, and, and we ended up putting it in the, in the book. Uh, a walk-on kid for, at Carolina is guarding Obama, blocks two of his shots, steals the ball. Roy Williams yells at the kid and says, you haven't guarded anybody all year. He said, let the man score. Uh, he, he does, and he blocks another shot. Obama says, you know, son, I could have the Secret Service take you out at any time. And then the scrimmage ends, and Roy Williams says to the young man, son, don't you understand? You have just assured yourself a lifetime of IRS audits. So it it gave a real flavor to to, uh, President Obama and this incredible... Uh, hoop love that he has. Sure. He's he's our hoopster in chief. So we got this story in. They they stopped the presses and we were able to get ram that story in real quick. That's amazing. It's an amazing story. And so are all the stories that you sort of um, have in the book. And and you say that you you know you came up with 101. You actually come up with a total of 116. Mm-hmm. Um, was it was it difficult? Was it hard work coming up with that with that number? I mean, you say, well, what's 101? It's got to be easy for Pat Williams to come up with 101 stories. Paul, it was a massive effort. I, I had no idea how hard and how much work it was going to take. We started with a letter, uh, and we mailed about 15,000 letters to every coach I knew, a college pro, some high school coaches, NBA players, WNBA players, former players. Mm-hmm. I mean, wherever we could launch it with a letter, hoping that maybe we'd get a 1% or 2% response, which mm-hmm. we did. Sure. Uh, but then I began to think of all the stories that I had a sense of, and, and I began to track individually people down, uh, where, and I, I called them. In other words, I, I targeted them and said, please tell this story. Help me reminisce about this story. The hardest part 
was deciding who to leave out. That was that was really hard because mm-hmm. I've got a file back in Orlando, Paul, that would do a whole second book right now <laughs> with stories pretty pretty good, r- real good. It didn't quite make the cut for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chicken Soup people have a 15-person editorial board that they use, uh, readers, you know, discerners, sure. and they're tough. Yeah. They're tough. And you got to get through all of them as well. Uh, but at some point, Paul, I'd love to share with you, there's a huge Philadelphia flavor to this book. We, well, we have about, oh my, I think, about 10 Philly stories in here. Yeah, I'm looking at the list of who's who. I mean, Maurice Cheeks. I mean, we just talk about the former uh, coach of the 76ers, but also a player with the 76ers. He's also a contributor. Well, here, here uh, Gordy Jones, a local writer, did mm-hmm. that one. And this is the Mo Cheeks story in Portland when he was coaching and the little girl forgot the words to the national anthem prior to <laughs> right. a playoff yes. game. Yep. And Mo goes out and rescues her in this dramatic story. Uh, Phil Jasner, the Philadelphia Daily News, tells a wonderful Julius Irving story and the impact he had on his family. Uh, there's a there's a Mark Narducci story, the Philadelphia Inquirer writer, <clears throat> who tells a story about Jamario Moon and mm-hmm. all that he overcame to become an NBA player. One of my favorites is Fran Dunphy, the mm-hmm. Temple coach, who tells a Dean Smith story at the Palestra one night that impacted Fran to this day. Uh, Chuck Daly tells his story, the longtime Penn coach for mm-hmm. Billy Cunningham's assistant, about how he got from high school into college coaching. Sure. It's a wonderful story from Chuck. And uh, on and on it goes. Clayton Sheldon, former Sixer employees, tells his Moses Malone story mm-hmm. on the parade day mm-hmm. when 20 workers salute Moses by holding up their lunch pails mm-hmm. at a break at lunchtime at a construction site. Uh, blue-collar workers to the blue-collar center. And then I tell my story about Barry Manilow at the Spectrum. Barry Manilow at the Spectrum. Yeah, I'll tell you to you real quick. I get It's 1974. I've just arrived. It's Halloween day. Mm-hmm. We're getting ready for the promotion. Busy, busy day. I get a phone call from a record producer named Barry Abrams. Mm-hmm. He said, there's a young guy that's going to show up tonight, I think. He's got a tape. Would love for you to play it. He's trying to get a start in music. So I'm busy that night, and this little beaky guy comes up to me, hands me the tape, and says, Barry Abrams called, said it might be all right to... I still remember this, Paul. I got a vivid memory. <laughs> and I and I pointed up to the guy. I said, listen, take it to Joe in the sound booth. If he'll play at some point, it's up to you guys work it out. Right. Thought no more of it. Right. I do have a vague memory of this song playing, and I, I think I can remember two little old ladies standing over in the far corner clapping. One month later, Mandy had boomed to the top of the charts, and Barry Manlow was on his way. <laughs> so I, I tell that story as well. That's one of my vivid memories of the spectrum. So has Barry Manilow ever thanked you then? Never have seen him. <laughs> I've, never, I've never met him. Really? I've, I've often thought if I did meet him and mention that story, if he would re- recall it. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you, I recall it. I remember it vividly to the, to the last detail. Oh, that's the type of stuff you get when you're talking with Pat Williams. That's inside, not only inside basketball, just you know, oftentimes you just wonder how some of these things start, how some of these careers are launched. You know, those moments in time where someone takes the time, pauses for a moment, thinks about the situation at hand, and sort of directs the person, and whether it's to the sound booth or it's Mo Cheeks going up behind the little girl who forgets the, the words to the national anthem and helps her out. And you think that's a snapshot in time that even the best Hollywood writer, I don't think, can sit down and, and, and come up with a script for that type of story. And Paul, it also reiterates uh, how much we love stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chicken Soup guys have been doing this now for almost 20 years because 
we cannot get enough stories. Sure. You think about your children. Uh, you, you read stories to them at bedtime at night, and they never get enough. Mm-hmm. Tell me another story, Daddy. You know, they never want to go to sleep because they're fascinated with stories. The best communicators, verbal and writing communicators, are storytellers. Yeah. And, and when you study the life of Mr. Lincoln or Reagan or the great speakers of history, <clears throat> really they told yarns, they told stories, they saved their anecdotes. And that's really what the whole chicken soup concept's about. And this basketball version has been great, great fun because everybody in sports, Paul, I think the sports people are the best storytellers in the world. Sure. Uh, you get around a bunch of old baseball players. Anytime I'm with Robin Roberts, our, mm-hmm. our boyhood hero, the great pitcher down in Tampa, I mean, but Paul, he remembers every pitch, every hitter, every count, every score. I mean, to sit with Robin over lunch, mm. oh, my goodness, it's <laughs> unbelievable. I'm sure it's more than 45 minutes long. Oh, those right? are long lunches. Yeah, absolutely. Those are long lunches. Uh, this, uh, this is your, your latest book, and I, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the stamina and, and, your, and your energy and your passion, not only for sports, but just for, for, for motivation. As I said, mm-hmm. you're a motivational speaker, and uh, you're a person that walks into a room, you light up the room, people you know, sit on the edge of their seat to hear what it is that you have to say. And of all the times that I've interviewed you, I, I have, I, I've never asked this question, but when you were growing up, Pat, was there a point, I mean, so how does Pat Williams get to this point of being a motivational speaker? Yes, you know, it was working with the Sixers, it was before that, working with uh, the Carpenter family, with the mm-hmm. Phillies, but was there, was there a point in school where, you know, it's sort of like that light bulb moment when you turned around and said, this is what I know, mm. what I want to do. Um, was there a teacher there, someone mm. there, a mentor there that sort of helped you out, that sort of said, you know what, um, this person helped me, so this is what I, w- I want to sort of mm. give back? That's a great question. I've always been fascinated by the written and the spoken word, I guess, Paul. I can, uh, Growing up in Wilmington, you know, really in the Philadelphia area, my, my early memories of life were Bill Campbell mm-hmm. and his sports show at WCAU every night at 610. You know, I had to be there. <clears throat> Gene Kelly, the voice of the Phillies. I grew sure. up on Byram Psalm. Yeah. Grew up on the, on the Philadelphia Writers and there were there were a stable of marvelous writers, <clears throat> so I, I think I've always been drawn to the written and the spoken word. But if there was one pivotal moment, it was in the ninth grade at Tower Hill School in Wilmington. We had a teacher named Mrs. Uh, Miss Bullard, and one day in the in the ninth grade, she said she was going to start teaching public speaking in our classroom, mm-hmm. and you were allowed one note card. It was to give a five minute talk, and I wrote my whole speech on a three by five card, both sides. Paul, the lettering was so small. I mean, you couldn't discern it with, with, a, with a microscope. Mm. And I got up, and I, I, I got the first sentence out, and then everything went blank. Mm. I mean, the whole thing was just, just absolutely a blur. And there I stood. I mean, I just stood. Mm. And you could imagine uh, the, the discomfort in that classroom. Sure. Oh, it was a nightmare. Miss <laughs> uh, Bullard uh, could have buried me mm. right there. Uh, but she didn't. Uh, she worked with me and helped me through it, brought me back up again at another time with, with a much more organized note card. Mm-hmm. And I got through it, and it was such a positive experience. I said, I really like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so then I, I began to listen at banquets. I, I heard top speakers when I was a kid growing up. I was always fascinated by the Frank Ladens of the world and Pete Carlissimo, PJ's father, mm-hmm. Bob Vitrone, the late Bob yeah. Vitrone here in Philadelphia. Uh, their, their ability, and when I got to Wake Forest, Bones McKinney, the basketball coach, their ability to just rivet and hold and galvanize an audience, the power that they had, mm. boy, that impressed me. Yeah. And I, I, I wanted to be able to do that. So I made a decision through my sports career, 
a la Bill Vack, the great baseball promoter, go out, share your message, mm-hmm. go sell your product wherever you're invited to speak, be there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, little by little, I gained that experience and the confidence. And then when I moved to Orlando in the mid-'80s, uh, that's the convention capital of the world, sure. and that, that's really what triggered things for me. Yep. And, of course, when you move uh, to Orlando in the mid-'80s, it was uh, part of, uh, I guess, the growth of the NBA into the Orlando market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kiddingly, I'll say that Orlando was nothing more than a prairie and a theme park at that point. Oh, it's true. And it has grown by, by leaps and bounds. And even the Orlando Magic has grown by, by leaps and bounds into one of the top franchises. And it was not only you that went to Orlando, but Dr. J also had, had followed you there. And did Billy Cunningham also go as Billy, part? Billy went to Miami, Miami. at the same time and helped start start that franchise up but that was the that was the period Paul 86 87 when the NBA really took some quantum leaps forward mm-hmm. with expansion and I got in there just in time right at the right curve you mm-hmm. hit, hit it just right that's when they added Orlando and Miami Charlotte mm-hmm. the first time Minnesota uh, a huge step for the league the, the franchise fees in 86 87 were 32 and a half million dollars which we thought, Paul, was just, I mean, they couldn't be anymore. <laughs> right. well, well, the last expansion, Charlotte came in $300 million. Yeah. So <laughs> times have changed. We, we got on it just in time. Any, any stories you could share? I'm sure you sort of uh, feel a little sad to see the, the old arena go, too. Yeah, there are lots of memories for so many people. I remember the noise on big nights. It, it, it was as noisy a building. Mm-hmm. as you could possibly have. The, the sound would just reverberate in there. Uh, yeah. It was like an echo chamber. Uh, I, I guess maybe, Paul, one memory is was my first night in the spectrum. My first run here in Philadelphia was the 68-69 season. Mm-hmm. I, Jack Ramsey and Irv Kozlov hired me. Sure. I was the business manager, 28 years old. That summer, the Sixers had traded Wilt Chamberlain to the Lakers. <laughs> and Jack Ramsey had taken over the coaching duties from Alex Hannum. Mm-hmm. So it's opening night, and wouldn't you know it, the Lakers are the opponent on opening night. My, my first game in the NBA. Right. And, and here comes Wilt Chamberlain back after being traded earlier that summer mm-hmm. with Jerry West, with Elgin Baylor. The Sixers roll out with Luke Jackson and Chet Walker and Billy Cunningham, Hal Greer and Wally Jones, um, Matty Gukas off the bench, mm-hmm. Archie Clark, Daryl Imhoff, mm-hmm. and, and the Sixers just whip them yeah. before a frenzied crowd yeah. on Wilt's return. And, and as I left the building that night, I said, doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> no, I, I said, I said if, 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 is this, the, if this is going to be the way it is every night, I yeah. said, this is a wonderful way to make a living. Sure. Well, 41 years later, Paul, in the NBA, uh, not every night was like that. Right, right. Uh, but that, that was a night I will never forget, mm-hmm. the, the excitement, the thrill of being part of that an emotional first game of a career that now spans over four decades. Orlando Magic Senior Vice President, Mr. Pat Williams. He is a treasure chest of basketball knowledge. I was thinking recently that every key person in NBA history, well, I've got a story about him. An anecdote, uh, a little quip, a memory. Those stories echo throughout the rafters above every game played in Orlando. With one out of 66 ping pong balls in that machine, uh, we win it again. And I, I called Rich. I said, Rich, this is absolutely abnormal. Never to disappear. Even though I'm retiring from basketball, uh, I am not retiring from life. Pat Williams considers himself a builder, the architect of NBA franchises for more than half a century, and the co-founder of the Orlando Magic. Now at nearly 79 years old, he's stepping away. 
starting this afternoon, uh, I'm uh, jumping into the building part again while I still have good health. And I think the best decade for me is ahead. That's pretty remarkable given the last five have seen him serve as general manager for multiple franchises. Help lead the charge in bringing the magic to town in 1986. It was a move that would forever shape the city. Uh, the miracle of this franchise. It's an absolute miracle that we're even here. It's maybe his most Herculean effort. Hitted against five other cities vying for a franchise. Williams and his partners appealed to a city the league felt had little shine past Disney World. The only reason that we were in the hunt was that we can go in front of the owners and tell them we had deposits, $100 deposits, on 14,000 season tickets. That got their attention. That so-called miracle was so important to him that his first set of post-retirement priorities includes one more piece of building, a statue that would sit right here outside of Amway Center, commemorating the 14,000 fans that helped make his vision possible. Orlando is growing as a sports community, and the Magic spearheaded all that. Magic, I think, proved to many that this, this town could be a good sports town. A town that after this year's run in his 30th and final year proved it was all worth it. Not to see a community that's so wrapped up in billboards out in front of hamburger stands, you know, go Magic, it was wonderful. And um, it was just really refreshing to see that this community has not lost its zeal for the magic. Pat Williams is uh, here to talk about his new book, but of course, uh, for those of us that know Pat Williams, perhaps we know him best for his time, his tenure with the Philadelphia 76ers. And yet the game has changed, the fans have changed, the arena the arenas have changed. Is it and all And Paul, let me put that in perspective. Yeah. Our mm-hmm. building in Orlando was built and opened in the fall, or at this, really the winter of 1989, right. and is one of the oldest buildings in the league and, right. and, and considered antiquated. Wow. Even though it's the sight lines are great, it's been well-kept, a very clean, neat building, antiquated, yeah. just totally out of date, mm-hmm. and, and thus the, the, the long push to get this new building built, just to catch up with everybody else in the league. Yeah. It's now a league of high technology, um, elite seating, mm-hmm. and combining that with seating for the masses as well, sure. priced properly, mm-hmm. uh, all the bells and whistles, and and uh, so we hopefully have caught that. But think about that, Paul, 20, 22 years and you got a building that's absolutely a dinosaur. So that's that's how things have changed so rapidly. And, and when Pat walked in, we have pictures uh, in our lobby here, Connie oh. Mack Stadium, and you talk well, you talk about dinosaurs. I mean, of course, there's nothing left there. I mean, there's a church that's there that's right. now. But, you know, the fact of the matter is when the vet went up, the, you know, the vet, like many of these bowl-type stadiums that were going up, they were considered state-of-the-art. Oh, you know? yes. And then, you know, the vet was literally crumbling around us. And the vet lasted more than, I think it was almost, what, 30 years? Well, 71. It yeah. opened seventy seventy one. And <clears throat> lasted till what two thousand and five? Yeah, so it was. Yeah. So that's thirty five years. Yeah, that's a, that's a long time. Which which Paul, by the way, absolutely boggles the mind when you think about Wrigley Field and Fenway Park. Yeah, absolutely. Think of, think about that. Yeah, they're both they're both a hundred years old mm-hmm. plus, and and they keep patching them up and keep adding. And if you go to Chicago or Boston and suggest. <laughs> Suggest. I mean, don't even make an issue of it. Just throw it out casually that 
we might have to do something. The, the fan base will go crazy <laughs> on you. You will be lynched and run out of town. So the, I, and, and we've lost Tiger Stadium, and we lost a bunch of the old ones. I, but I guess Fenway and, and Wrigley will last forever. Yeah. So we're going to always have two absolutely historic old facilities that, that people get very emotional about. Yeah. But I don't know how they've done it, but they've, they've kept those two relics alive, and they are their landmarks. This book is your, is your newest book. Uh, anything else that you're working on after this? Paul, interesting that you ask. I, I've got a book coming early this summer that I've written with my daughter, Karen, who's a singer and writer in, in Nashville. We've written a book together called The Takeaway, huh. in which Karen writes about the 20 life lessons that she's learned from her dad over the years. Oh, that's nice. And then I write behind her. In other words, she writes, and then I come behind uh-huh. and share my thoughts. And then in July, I've got a book coming on teamwork. Extreme dreams depend on teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a very interesting project because everything really revolves around the team you have around you. Sure. And then my wife, Ruth, and I are writing a book that will be out in November on marriage. Mm. It's called Happy Spouse, Happy House. <laughs> and, and basically, the men, it, it's a book written to men. That men, if you, if you, if you do your job at home, uh, that your wife's face is a reflection of what kind of a husband you've been. I mean, you can look at a woman's face mm-hmm. after a period of time, and her face depends on how you've treated her. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good, strong challenge to men. Yeah. And the thing that's remarkable is that many people may not know this, but I, I've known it for, for quite some time, that you and your wife have been the parents to 19 children, mm. 14 of them adopted from four other countries. Yes. And... Uh, and, and and so, you know, a lot of people will get sort of caught up in the hubbub about Madonna wanting to adopt a child from, from Africa, and she's only, this will be our fourth kid. But, Pat, you were doing this. I mean, you were adopting kids, and, and, and most people would say, oh, it's great that he's adopting, you know, kids, or, you know, uh, the fact that the Williams family is doing this, but you just weren't adopting one or two kids. I mean, not, when all is said and done, there's 19 kids in the Williams household. Yeah, 14 of them were adopted, yeah. Paul, and the first two kids came in um, September of 83. We had won the championship mm-hmm. that spring, and all while that was going on, we were working on this project about two little girls from South Korea, two mm-hmm. and three years old we'd learned about, and we did qualify. And they arrived in mid-September, mm-hmm. uh, September 11th, I believe, or 12th, somewhere in that period sure. of 83. And we met them at the Philadelphia airport. Mm-hmm. They had flown with the help of a off-duty stewardess from Seoul, South Korea. Mm-hmm. And there they were. I mean, they just came out of the airplane. Yeah. And, and we put them in the van. We had three children at the time and took them back to Morristown, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and uh, and raised them. And, and then three years later is when I left to go to Orlando. Mm-hmm. So we had them here for three years. But we had a great experience. Sure. And then we learned about two little boys from South Korea, twins, mm-hmm. in 87. And we said, ah, why not? We'd mm-hmm. throw it out to vote. Mm-hmm. The kids were all enthusiastic. Sure. Then four boys from the Philippines, four brothers. Then when Romania fell, we learned about two little girls in Romania, and then we went to visit Brazil in 92, and Mm -hmm. you better not go to Brazil unless you want to have your heart broken. Mm. And uh, that led to adopting four kids out of Brazil, Mm. and uh, the smoke cleared, and here we sit with 19 children. The good news is, Paul, they're all out of the house. The youngest is 23, the oldest is 37, and uh, they've produced seven grandchildren for us. We're we're enjoying them immensely. Grandchildren are great fun, great fun, and they go home at night. I was just going to say, that's the reason why, right? You're able to love them and spoil them, and then they go home at the end of the day. Um, But did you ever think of, or maybe, I'm I'm not sure, but I mean, with, with 19 kids then, writing a book about parenting, because... 
you know, one thing I say is that you know when whether you're adopting or whether you know they're they're yours, when that child comes into your life. There's mm-hmm. no owner's manual. You know, you buy a new car. There's an owner's manual in the glove compartment. You go out and you know you go to Target and you buy an appliance. There's there's an instruction manual. But when kids come into your life. There's no owner's manual. There's no instruction manual. Yeah, that's true. Well, Paul, we did write a book a couple of years ago. My wife and I wrote a book called You've Got to Be Kidding, (laughs) in which we share our parenting philosophy. And uh, that book came out a few years ago. People can learn more, by the way. Let me just give my Mm -hmm. website. It's patwilliamsmotivate.com, patwilliamsmotivate.com. And, and and go to Amazon as well. Amazon is just a marvelous way to get books, Paul. Sure. Uh, they're, they're delivered to you, and everything that I've written, you can track down through Amazon. Or eBay. You can find them on eBay, ah, too. And I've got, or yeah. old used bookstores. That's always a little deflating. Yeah. You go into a bookstore, oh, my goodness, I poured my life into that book, and there it sits, and you can get it for $2. But, but fact so of the matter it. is, they're still buying the book, That's though, right. right. That's you know, right. But, I, yeah. I, lo- I love bookstores. Yeah. Um, uh, fact of the matter is, new book is out. It's Chicken Soup for the Soul inside basketball and i can't think of a better person than to sort of bring us this because of his uh, his background his expertise with uh, the philadelphia 76ers the chicago bulls the atlanta hawks and uh, now with the orlando magic so we really do appreciate the fact that uh, pat williams joins us here in the studio talking about his newest book and pat uh, again as i say and i say and he takes me up on it too Open and when you're hopefully you're going to tour with your daughter come this uh, come this summer and, and talk about her book. This yeah, time. yeah, we'll definitely get the word. And if we get up this way, Paul, believe yeah. me, we'll give you a shout. You're awfully kind to me, and I always love to see you. Same here, Pat Williams. Thank you so much for being with us. Great to see you, Paul. You've been listening to Studio 89.7, a monthly program that focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. Please tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. for another edition of Studio 89.7, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.